I um I like never wear sweatpants or PJ style clothes outside. I'm kind of a snob like that. Yeah, you know, out in public. Um, I don't know when that started because I didn't used to be. <laughs> I don't know what's happened to me. Um, but today it was just like um, fuck it. I'm wearing sweatpants in public. I don't blame you. I could go leggings. I mean, that doesn't feel like sweatpants though. I'm not a, a legging person. I can't tell you the last time I wore leggings. I will say I'm much more comfortable in jeans than I am in leggings. Yeah. A good, a good pair of jeans is Mm. pretty good pair of stretched, stretched out. (laughs) Oh yeah. Can't be brand new jeans. Nothing's so uncomfortable as new jeans that you have to break in. Yeah. They have to have some like elasticity in them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Basically I'm just going to start buying maternity pants. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I promised myself that I was going to try to not talk about the weather on Don't do this it. podcast. So I'm not. Instead, I'm going to talk about my dogs, which is oh, classic. Okay, good. <laughs> totally fine. Yeah. Everybody loves dogs. I mean, if you don't, I don't know you, but <laughs> yeah, get out of here if you don't. Yeah. What are you doing here? Um, no. So we, I'm sure you guys have heard as listeners, my dogs go off a lot on this podcast. They're just, they just want their voices to be heard and when we moved into our new house we went from having a privacy fence set up to a um, chain link fence set up so they can see everything and we are on a corner yeah we're on a corner lot so lots of traffic going back and forth they see everything they like to bark and now our neighbor has gotten a puppy, which is so stinking cute. It's a little, I think it's like a little golden doodle, but so adorable. And the art, my dogs have been fine so far. Um, like they bark when they first go outside because they're just so excited to go see the puppy, but they'll like sniff each other through the fence and the puppy like does a little like playful motion and runs back and forth. Um, Winston is my older dog and for about five seconds he was into that and then he was like fuck this I'm out Um, and (laughs) and came back inside and then Bernie Bernie will try to keep up but then at some point he's like oh I'm too tired he's a big boy that's a lot of weight to to carry yeah um because it's a big breed it's not he's not you know he's not an obese dog he's just a large no he's a bernie's mountain dog he's a larger dog so yeah it's a lot of uh body mass for him to move around but they seem like they're getting along i hope that stays the case yeah that's great um i was at the park with my mom over the weekend because the weather was really nice (laughs) 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 and um uh someone was walking to bernie's mountain dogs and it's just like It's just a beautiful sight to behold. They're just such beautiful dogs. I didn't get to read it because I saw it like as I was leaving work, I think it's trending on Twitter right now. Um, The study that I say study in quotes that estimates 75% of dogs in the UK are depressed. Oh my God. (laughs) I know. And it's supposed to, the article um, that I saw, like give you signs to look out for, but I I didn't get very, I didn't get very far, but I think it has some tips and tricks, but now I am, I'm worried. I worry about shadow because we went from having a dog park literally in our backyard and would go there almost every day. And right now we don't have a fenced in yard. 
or any nearby dog parks and she can't be off leash. So she's not getting much exercise. Um, and that's important for a dog. So I'm like, shadow, are you depressed? <laughs> shadow, are you okay? uh, do you, do you think there's an uptick because more people adopted during COVID and then like, maybe there's just more numbers because of the adoption rates going up. Maybe also everyone's soups sad right now. <laughs> and and, and you dogs haven't, yeah. If you haven't been tell me your secret, um, in dogs, definitely like sense your energy and sense your mm-hmm. mood. And so maybe they're soaking up all her sadness, <laughs> which is really depressing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's one totally uneducated theory I have. No, I think that's true. They also say dogs, um, help women, especially sleep better at night. Mm-hmm. So if you let them sleep in bed with you, which mm, I'm guilty of. Um, oh yeah. When I got a dog, cause you know, they'll tell you like trainers will tell you, don't let them sleep in the bed. Cause you have to yeah. show them like, you know, who's in, who's in charge. And I didn't for the first like couple of months or few months, just for that reason, because you know, shadow and that, that bitch needs to know who's in charge. <laughs> I'm the boss. <laughs> yeah. Um, but eventually it's like, no, I'm, if I'm getting a dog, yes, it's sleeping in the bed with me. Like, absolutely. Like Winston has a dedicated pillow in between us, like where he sleeps and that, and it's like right up near our head. So I get to snuggle with him. And then obviously Bernie just like splays out (laughs) other side. We have a king bed. So there's lots of space at least. I was going to ask, like, do you have a California king? Because (laughs) you need a lot of space. Yeah. Yeah. But I love them. I mean, they're just, yeah, they're sometimes like today they've been barking a lot at people. Um, we've had a lot of like packages get delivered today. And so they've been barking nonstop and I'm like, but I still love them very much. It's a good thing for me to keep in mind as a house hunt, because most places have a fence, but they're chain link. Um, I'm not going to get lucky enough to find a house that has like a privacy fence. Um, but I might want to put that in because shadow is a barker too. Um, and they have like slats you can put into your chain link uh, to oh. make a kind of privacy. I've, we've not done that because I don't know if they'll let us in our neighborhood, but that is a thing that you can do. I did not know that. It probably costs a lot of money because you have to buy like slats. They go diagonally through the links. I know. I think I can picture what you're talking yeah. about now. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You learn something Perfect. every time on this podcast. And that's what we're here for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what we're actually here for is to be a movie podcast. And if this, if this is your first time listening, I'm Claire. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm also sorry if this is your first time listening, because (laughs) this movie that we're about to talk about (laughs) might not be a great introduction to us. Maybe, maybe pause and go back. Go back and listen to, I'm trying to think of any good, all of our episodes are great. You should listen to them all. And this episode is going to be good. It's going to, um, (laughs) we're going to make it good. I promise. So keep listening. But the movie that we're talking about today is the power of the dog, which is Oscar nominated award nominated out the wazoo. So we were like, you know what? Let's cover it on the podcast. Um, and, and here we are, we, and here we are doing just that. So we're going to talk about our reactions, um, 
some of which might surprise you all what listening, but um, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about the themes that this movie presents as far as, you know, the take on the cowboy and Westerns and how homosexuality ties into all of that. There is a really big twist in this movie too that we're going to be talking about. So this is like your spoiler warning up front if you have not watched this movie and you want to. Full full transparency, we're going to talk about that in more detail. Then we'll get into some specific scenes that we, I don't know, stood out to us, I guess. And then we'll get into our why the flick moments. So buckle up and enjoy. What the flick did I just watch? Why the flick did I just watch it? <laughs> Why the flick did you choose this movie? Why the flick did I choose this movie? So it's Oscar season. I think by the time this episode comes out, the Oscars are going to be airing the following Sunday. And to give our listeners a little behind the scenes of our podcast, when we were looking at our spreadsheet for movies to talk about, I saw you had this one or Spencer on the list as an option. So I was like, hey, you want to do both? Like, I'll take one or the other. And I had no preference. So you took Spencer and I took the power of the dog. And after watching this movie, I was like, oh, God, I have to lead this conversation. What is happening? Yeah, no, uh, no crush on this one. Like, and I think it was a good pick initially, like, you know, there's been so much hype about it because of the Oscars and it's an Oscars front runner, but now I'm just like, how am I going to talk about this movie? But it's fine. Like I have my notes. We're good. It's going to be fine. We're going to get, get through it. I have to say, like, I saw the trailer for this movie and this is a trailer and a movie that I would kind of gravitate toward. And I was like, okay, that looks really appealing. something just seems off something's not quite there in the trailer for me like what is this movie and so my instincts told me pick spencer (laughs) avoid power of the dog you were like pick spencer and i'm gonna (laughs) leave claire over here to handle the power of the dog all on her own fuck that bitch (laughs) no 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 i i did not know what we were getting Uh, into but i am glad it's you not me (laughs) And I went into this movie blind. I did, I I mean, I saw the posters. I'd heard a little bit about it. um, Did not watch the trailer and did not really even read a description about it. I was like, just gonna watch it and see what happens. And I will say like, I'm pretty middle of the road on this movie, but you watched it and you texted me. And I'm gonna like, I think that verbatim you had said, Claire. (laughs) Okay. I didn't do that. I think. Okay. I was like, is that how you hear my voice when I text you? (laughs) No, it was like, like 10 A's in a row. Claire, And you wrote, I cannot, and that you'll never get those two hours of your life back. And so I just want to ask you, how did you like this movie? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm going to try very hard 
or like mildly hard to be kind and respectful this episode. I don't know how it's going to go, but, um, I strongly dislike this movie. (laughs) Like it infuriates me, but I'll say, I think it's, it's not just the movie. It's the critical response. People are drooling over this movie and Mm -hmm. I don't fucking get it. Especially coming off of, we just watched and talked about Spencer, which we both agreed was like, I mean, just had so much going for it and so much that worked so well. And like, to me, this was like the opposite. Yeah. Spencer was cinema, like cinematic, high praise, high arts, yeah, high art. Yeah. But still accessible, you know, like it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And on this one, I feel so conflicted. It is such a slow paced movie and it's two hours, two hours, six minutes. Yeah. You feel every single goddamn second of it. Um, The pacing just felt weird to me in general because it was so slow, but then things would happen so fast. Like all of a sudden Rose and George got married. Like we're married. Like, okay, I have to like process and accept that. Or like all of a sudden Phil was being nice to Peter out of nowhere, which anyway, that all seemed to happen throughout the movie. And I kept thinking, what is this leading to? There has to be leading to something. There has to be a payoff for why it is so slow. And you do get that at the end, but like literally in the last 90 seconds, I'd say yeah. is when you get it. And then you're like, for me, I was like, like my mind was a little bit blown with the realization of what was going on the whole time, but I don't think it was enough payoff for the rest of the movie and what happened. I, I agree. Um, the, the twist in the end in itself is not enough to save the rest of that movie. And, you know, something else about like my perspective is because so much of the movie for me was painfully slow. And it's one thing for plot points to happen suddenly and kind of out, out of nowhere. It's another thing for me when it's like character development just comes out of nowhere. And it, like, like you alluded to, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it, how suddenly um, Phil's being nice to Peter. Um, all those things that just took me out of the movie. And I was mm-hmm. like, within 30 minutes, hate watching this thing. And so you, for any movie to be successful, like you have to have the audience buy-in, that suspension of, of um, belief, um, suspension of belief, suspension of disbelief. What the hell is the saying? Anyway, you have to <laughs> One say, of those. yeah, you have to suspend your senses and just buy into this world um, for a movie to work. That's, that's a must. And for me, again, I was so taken out of it, um, that I wasn't there. And so by the time the twist happens, I, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. It's, it's too it's little, late. too late. <laughs> yeah. Too little, too late. So I was going to say, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the acting is something that still like stood out to me is, is good. Like Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Cody Smith McPhee were all pretty incredible. Jesse Plemons was the only one who I was like, he didn't like leave that much of an impression on me. Um, but like, and I get the lesson that this movie is trying to make and the statement it's trying to say, but honestly, just at the end of the whole thing left me kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> you'll, yeah, you'll have to, you'll have to enlighten me. I am, um, as much as I hate watch this, I, I hate read all the reviews, <laughs> just one glowing review after the other. Um, 
but none of them really convinced me or, or told me what this movie really is about and what's like, what's nuanced here. Um, I do have some thoughts on the acting. I don't know if you want to get into your, your cast and crew notes, but yeah, I was just going to say, since you were talking about, you don't know what this movie is about. I'll just read the IMDb summary and maybe that will give us some clarity. I don't think so. Um, but it says charismatic rancher, Phil Burbank inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. <laughs> it, I'm pissed off listening to that because it's not, none of that's there for me. Like none of that is really, read the first sentence one more time for me. Charismatic rancher, no. Bill Burbank. Just, just full stop. Charismatic? How, what? What character are they talking about? I just okay. Anyway, continue. You don't have to keep. Did reading. you want to? Be... No, no, no. Okay, okay. <laughs> We're moving on. Yeah. So <laughs> we can. I mean, we can jump into the cast first if you want. So Benedict Cumberbatch plays Phil Burbank, and everybody knows Benedict Cumberbatch. He's been Doctor Strange and Sherlock Holmes, Con, and he did the voices for Smog and The Grinch. Um. Thoughts on his performance in this movie? So this kind of applies to everyone in the, in the main cast for me. Their performances weren't bad. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that they were notable. And that's, I don't even think it's a reflection of the work the actor did or the performance the actor mm-hmm. gave. I think it's because I thought, I mean, all these different elements that we're going to talk about um, in terms of like writing, directing, music, all those things, um, we're all just 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 failed for me and fell flat that then it made I I think it was when we reviewed last Christmas and I read a review that said something like this is what happens when bad movies happen to good actors Mm. that's kind of what I felt here is like you have these to me unquestionable talents on screen and behind the camera and I think a bad movie has happened to them. And yeah. so for me, their performances didn't stand out. There were, and if anything, there were moments with um, Benedict Cumberbatch in particular that it felt, it felt like he was like acting, like, like performing. <laughs> I am an actor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because um, like, here's this like, this... <laughs> can't even get through this okay continue I'm like, okay but it's coming back she's like this, yeah barely I'm in sweatpants just to remind you um he's this like refined British actor um and he's I mean this is like the opposite right this um American dirty cowboy macho you know to an extreme and, um, and he's, he's obviously having to use an accent for this. And there were, there were definitely a couple of moments where it felt like a performance. Um, mm-hmm. but so I'm not going to criticize like the actors. I think it was all the other elements that failed them. Yeah. I don't think, I think the only reason it feels like some of their performances were dull is just because that's the tone of the movie. And so that came through, not that they were dull actors it just came through that way yeah um so jesse plemons plays phil's brother george 
who I remember mostly from the Breaking Bad days. Um, did you ever watch Breaking Bad? Oh, no. I uh, tried to get into it once. And okay. Just okay. Didn't. He, he, was, he was in that show, um, but he's like been a little rising star because he's popped up like a lot recently. He, Jesse Plemons? Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he was in Friday Night Lights, I believe. The, hmm. uh, I don't know, NBC or ABC series from a while ago. Or was he in the movie? Damn, should have looked it up. Um, but I think that's where I, I didn't write that from. one down. <laughs> okay, I'll we'll flat fact check that later. But I only knew uh, he was in Jungle Cruise, so I uh, did not did not see that. Um, um, but he, yeah. I think he's been a- around for a while, and um, he has like a different kind of um, yeah presence on screen. I've always really liked. Mm-hmm. And then. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, who said, plays Rose Gordon, who is, did you know this? That she is in real life married to Clemens? I did. And yeah. I did not know that. And I kind of feel bad because I don't think their characters had that much chemistry. <laughs> no, they didn't. And, but again, I think that goes back to yeah, like yeah. writing and stuff. Not that they, I'm sure they are very happy. They're and fine. But yeah. Yeah. I'm not insinuating anything. Um, it, it is funny though, because so her son's name is Peter and she would go, Peter, Peter. And I swear to God, every time she said it, I was like Mary Jane from Spider-Man because oh. man is Peter Parker. And she would say, Peter, Peter. So that's all I could think about. I was really taken out at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's not great. <laughs> Just trying to find anything to keep me captivated. Um, so then Can- speaking of Oh, sorry. Sorry. I just wanted to confirm. So yes, um, he was in Friday night lights. It, that series ran from 2006 to 2011. He, he played Landry. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. We are journalists. We like to fact check things. So speaking of Peter, he is played by Cody Smith McPhee, who's been in a lot more than I thought. Um, most recently he was nightcrawler in the X-Men movies. The okay most most recent recent ones not the old ones um so yeah that's I, I like i didn't know it. that mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like well, it you, well and we're done tonight <laughs> it is a pretty small cast of characters um i mean there's like extras for sure but as far as main characters go it really just centers around these four individuals so speaking of this movie um so this is directed and written by jane campion campion i was trying to make sure i, I think it's right. campion cut all this yeah um, just so wait who, were you just gonna do every possible pronunciation and i can choose the right one <laughs> let's do that from now on <laughs> yeah. who uh is most known for portrait of a lady the piano She's also the first woman with two Oscar nominations, which includes this movie and the piano. So, which I commend, like, you know. Yeah, good for you. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) Good for her. It is based on a book by Thomas Savage that came out in 1967, and he is known for writing Western novels. The music is by... Johnny Greenwood, who did Spencer, and I could definitely see similarities, but Spencer, I thought was way better. A thousand percent. 
I wish Spencer had been uh, nominated for best original score still. <sighs> it's fine. So cinematography is Ari Wegner, who also did Lady Macbeth. That's kind of the only thing I recognized on her. I think it's a she. Yes. IMDb. Mm-hmm. Good. Oh, phew. Uh, and then uh, film editing was by Peter Sabaris, who did The King and the Rover. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I think these different elements, cinematography, there are some really beautiful shots and when you're shooting like landscapes I feel like it's probably hard to do something a little different that's not already been done before and I saw different elements that like oh that's a really nice touch or whatever yeah the music was great yeah did it work with the movie at all no um not for me anyway um the directing I don't know it's hard to know sometimes it's hard to see Mm -hmm you know, what's a result of the directing, but let's just say it's, it was superb. I mean, she obviously knows what she's doing, but to me, so on, on their own, those elements were good (laughs) at least. Um, but again, if Spencer was like, to me, a prime example of all of those elements working so perfectly and beautifully together, this was the total opposite. The music felt so disconnected from this mm-hmm. movie and like it didn't belong there or that like they didn't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last I'll say, Jane Campion wrote this as well, right? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I thought the writing was pretty bad at times. Mm. I, there, there is maybe similar in some ways to Spencer. Like we talked about the dialogue and Spencer could be really heavy handed and spot on, but yeah. It, I felt like it grounded it because everything else was so like it, the, it was, the dialogue was literal and everything else was so metaphorical in the, yeah. in this movie, it just didn't work for me at all. Like r- real quick, just a couple of examples, um, that like, that stood out to me with the, with the dialogue. So like, you know, the other cow hands and when they're staring at the mountainside, gee, Phil, what do you see in the mountain? Yeah, Phil, what do you see in the mountain? <laughs> And then when he castrates the bull, gee, why didn't you wear gloves, Phil? How about, cause I don't want to, or whatever he says. <laughs> like it was yeah. just so bad sometimes. I, yeah. I, I, I digress. <laughs> I will say yes, but also this movie, I think gave me my new favorite phrase, which was your bloody tootin'. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even pick up on that. Nice. <laughs> I don't know. It was when they Phil was freaking out about the hides and he goes bloody tootin'. And I'm like, that seems like such an oxymoron to put those two together, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There definitely. were definitely moments. I was like, wait, is this a comedy? <laughs> <laughs> I think like the music has a lot to do with that too, because I'm like, what am I supposed to be watching? Because the music has me on edge. Like, and it's it's meant to be that way because we'll get into it later because this kind of becomes like a thriller uh so to speak but yeah the music just on its own by itself I liked but it made my watching of this movie so confused (laughs) yeah and I didn't have that much of a like visceral response to it it's like oh that music's cool is it was it meant for a different movie but Johnny Greenwood (laughs) stole my heart with Spencer Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be a fan for life now. So 
Yeah. I, I don't blame him. No, I don't either. Well, okay. So let's talk about some themes of this movie. So I think the overarching theme is centered around the quote unquote cowboy and homosexuality set in this rugged Western landscape. And most of this comes through in the character, Phil, who is perceived on the outside to be this really mean, cruel, toxic person. But spoiler, he's really a closeted gay man. And they never really like come outright and talk about his sexuality. But we, the audience, are led to believe that he at least has some some attraction to men because of his relationship with Bronco Henry, the or the the relationship he had with Bronco Henry. And before I watched this movie, I will say I was spoiled by something I saw on TikTok. So I had an inkling that this is the direction that this movie was going before Mm -hmm. it started. Um, And it's like revealed halfway through the movie. And it's not an entirely new idea or thing, right? It's you know, the book itself is based on, in some part, on Thomas Savage's own personal life being um, queer in the American West. You have Brokeback Mountain, which I think comes to mind for a lot of people comparing this movie to that. And then even the writer I was thinking about too, the one that we did a few episodes back, the main character isn't gay, but it highlights that you know, both masculinity and femininity can exist in this cowboy world. So for me, I'm a cisgender woman, and I personally didn't know how to take this portrayal of Phil because he's supposed to be the main antagonist and who we're supposed to root against at first. But then once you find out the reason he's so cruel is because he has this this secret, you know, he is sexually repressed you kind of start to understand him more and that his macho-ness is a form of self-protection. And not that that condones any of the actions that he does, but you do have some bit of empathy for him. So it's definitely something that made me feel conflicted. I don't know how you felt about it. Yeah, because I think it, I think it risks condoning that behavior by saying, by, by explaining his cruelty and which was a big question for me is why, why, and it's still a question for me. Why the hell is this guy such an asshole? I mean, from the get from Mm. minute one of this movie, he's just, just senselessly meaninglessly, um, (laughs) cruel. And the fact that it's supposed to be explained away by the fact that he's, it's because he's a closeted gay man living in this world to me is problematic. Um, Mm -hmm. because I don't think it excuses that behavior and you're making this connection. Like if, if you're closeted and gay, you're, you're bound to be an asshole and act out and hurt Mm -hmm. other people. And I just, I just think that's a, um, a fine line to walk. And this movie is to me, not at all subtle. Yeah. Um, you know, when you say like, it's kind of hinted at that he's to to me is smack. It's right. Smacked in your face that he is gay and Mm -hmm. a very provocative scene. Like it, it, to me, it doesn't leave any, um, doesn't leave any questions unanswered in that regard, but I don't know. And just, just in general, it just seems like the gay cowboy thing is such like a trope. I'm, I'm okay Mm -hmm. with that being, I'm more than okay with that being, 
a story and us telling those stories, but telling them in such like sensational ways, it's like she, she being the, the writer and director and, and the creators in general, it's like, they're trying to take these ideas of masculinity head on, take these stereotypes head on and, and make us confront them, but they're doing it by using and relying on tropes. You know what I mean? Yeah. By, I like relying on stereotypes. Yeah. And I'll say, cause I, I have a hard time articulating it. Um, Spencer Kornhaber in the, um, for the Atlantic does a really good job, I think, of articulating these things. So he um, has a review for the Atlantic that we'll link to. And then also the Atlantic's podcast called The Review, their episode with Power of the Dog. Um, he's on there with, along with two other reporters and it's a really good discussion. And I'll, I don't have to do it now, but I do want to read a quote from his review, um, but go on. I was going to say, I think I read that article because I'm pretty sure I... I thought I had pulled a quote from it, but I definitely read it. So I know what you're talking about, but yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know how to feel about it. Like I get that this is, this is who Phil is. And he feels like he is so like against, you know, what he feels like a man should be that he's like gone in this complete opposite direct, like complete, like extreme, sorry, direction of like what, a what he thinks should be masculine to the point where he mocks his brother, calls him fat. So like constantly he's cruel to Rose and all of this leads into his downfall at the end. You know, you could say toxic masculinity killed is what killed him. Um, essentially but is that like is that for shock value I just you know it it is hard to articulate I think you know yeah it's it's hard to not think are they did they do this for shock value is this supposed to be shocking to me and and maybe you know with Brokeback Mountain I can't remember what year that was um and prior to that it maybe was more of a, a shock to tell a story like this I feel like it's if anything it's just like it's a story told in the wrong time. Cause I feel like, mm. um, we, we can certainly keep exploring these ideas and these themes, but, and I'm sorry, I can't remember if I already said this, but another problem with this film is like, what, what new does this movie say about toxic masculinity? Yeah. What is nuanced or revelatory? I don't, I don't see it. And so mm-hmm. like, why, why are we doing this? So I went out into the Google to see <laughs> if I could find some just different perspectives for how this movie was received. And I saw both sides of the argument, good and bad. First of all, though, I think we need to address like this whole controversy oh, yeah. around Sam Elliott that's going on, which you, you've heard about, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you haven't heard, Sam Elliott was interviewed on the WTF podcast not to be confused with why the <laughs> flick, um, but he talked about the power of the dog and pretty much called it a piece of shit because of all of these illusions it makes to homosexuality since they wear chaps and no shirts. And the interviewer kind of was like, um, I think that was the point of the movie. And so there's this like quote that's been going around that Sam Elliott said, he goes, well, what the fuck did this woman and then in brackets, she's a brilliant director, by the way. I love her work, <laughs> previous work. But what the fuck does this woman from down there, New Zealand, know anything, or sorry, know about the American West? 
which seems to, if anything, prove the movie's point about toxic masculinity to some degree. Um, Potentially, yeah. You know, so, would he would he say that about a a male director? Right, right. So that happened. Most people, I will say, unless did you have anything else to add? I did. You listen to the the interview? I didn't listen. I just read the article with the um, transcription. Okay. So yeah, I read an article that basically was a transcription and I don't, my read from that was not that he was calling it a piece of shit because of the allusions to homosexuality. I think he had a lot of problems with the movie and how the West was portrayed. The fact that it does like stereotype cowboys and cowboy culture in general. Like he, he talked about how like the farms and farmhands, he knows like their families, they're not a bunch of, you know, macho asshole dudes he was also Mm. responding to an ad that he saw in the la times that says that this movie eviscerates the american west which is awesome i don't i can't really explain it but is obnoxious to me as well because i think you're giving Mm -hmm. that movie way too much credit and also like what does that mean so i think he i think the way that he expressed himself (laughs) uh was problematic and i think the whole what the hell does she know comment is you can fuck right right off with that um but I don't think his problem is like you can't have movies with gay cowboys I really don't I think he was reacting also to this and and, uh, uh, we can get more into this too that this movie kind of fetishizes the whole gay cowboy thing Mm -hmm. um and uses a lot of like queer cliches and I think maybe he was reacting to that. So I don't know how like homophobic the intention was, is my point. Yeah. I mean, definitely like we'll include a link to um, at least the article. I'll see if it has a direct like link to listen to the podcast itself and you can kind of make your own conclusions as you as you want. I will say most people on the side who disliked it didn't come away with like with with that as far as like reaction as of, of how he phrased it right yeah so most people who disliked it, it disliked it because it was cold and dull and further perpetuated the stereotype uh that queer people in movies they the only endings they can have are either to kill or be killed which ha- does happen in this movie but um Oh, and then another critic I read said the fact that there's not really a protagonist is maybe a weakness in this movie because we, as the viewers, kind of keep an emotional distance and we don't get connected to anyone because we don't find anyone to be relatable. Which I was that like, That's explains pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I that, feel like that definitely that explains. feels on point. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. You are, it feels like you are kind of floating around, like who and what do I latch on to? Yeah. Um, can I read this, this quote from the, mm-hmm. um, Spencer Cornhaber? I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah. Um, cause I think he articulate, articulates it well. <laughs> I, was, I can't even say articulate. So, okay. <laughs> so, and I'm picking up kind of in the middle of a sentence here, but he says Campion's thematic interest, the meek inherit the earth. The prey outwits the predator, the feminine inspires the masculine, crystallize. So do some larger vague lessons about performative masculinity. Extrapolate those lessons too much and you end up in a patently homophobic territory. We should not assume that every abusive oaf pines for a Bronco Henry. 
But the problem with the power of the dog is not that it is offensive. It isn't. The problem is that it is dull, a slow study of stock characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I second that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely see that. I read that same sentence and I was like, yep, I think that's, I mean, yeah. that feels pretty spot on too. Um, I will say, because I was like, I really want to like get the other side of this from someone who's not maybe necessarily like a critic, um, but just like find, you know, someone who had a different perspective. So I came across this article on a site called Them, which talks about the site itself is talks about a range of topics from the lens of the LGBTQ community. And so the article is called The Beautiful Indefinable Queerness of the Power of the Dog. It is written by Juan Barquin. And they talked about how often in queer films, it feels like you have to thread a very specific needle in order to appeal to both audiences and uh, awards voters. But one of the reasons that they liked Power of the Dog is that it didn't box in the queer story. It never used, they, they said, it never used queerness as a twist or a reveal. It was very forthright. It may not have been spoken, but it was there on screen. And additionally, they talked about the nuance of Phil himself and Peter too, to some extent, but Phil isn't just a quote unquote evil gay man or just a tortured soul that in this movie, it shows you can be both a monster and a victim, but succumbing to one or the other is a, is a tragedy. And I'm not saying like, this is a monolith for how every person in the LGBTQ community is going to feel about this movie, but, um, I just wanted to, to add in that additional perspective. Yeah, I'll just say that I think that the reveal, quote unquote, reveal of him being gay, it was kind of a twist and supposed to be this big. I feel like reveal. it so was supposed to be a twist, but you probably picked up on it fairly early. I did not. I will say that right now. And I, I probably not. only did because I knew like there was going to be some sort right, of homosexuality right. theme yeah, I did as not. part of this. Um, the first time that I kind of picked up on it was when he's admiring Bronco Henry's saddle and he's really like caressing it. And that's when I it it kind of hit for me that first time. Um, but again, like I think it was meant to be a bigger re- twist. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> he was caressing the the saddle. I was just like, he is obsessed (laughs) with Bronco Henry. And Mm -hmm. to me, I think, um, again, I think it's a problem is that you, for most of the movie, don't know what the hell you're watching, you know, like you Mm -hmm. can't place it. Um, which I'm, I, the the filmmakers may take that as a huge compliment, um, that you don't really know what to make of it. Um, Mm. <laughs> I don't remember where it's going with that. Mm, lost the train of thought. Hold on. Of the twist. We were talking about it being a twist of, the, oh. of him being revealed to be gay. So you you get like what should be a big cue there, right? When he's caressing the saddle, maybe that should be like, oh, okay. We, we can put two and two together. But because I'm like, I don't know what, I don't know the hell this is. I'm yeah. not going to assume anything at this point. Yeah. And I think too, we, we should probably also talk about Peter to some extent because where Phil is portrayed as supposed to be the ultimate man of what you think stereotypical masculinity is supposed to be. You know, he, like I said, he makes fun of his brother for being soft. He doesn't bathe. He castrates bulls with his bare hands. Um, 
Phil or not Phil, Peter is supposed to be the total opposite of Phil and Peter's sexuality is never made clear. Um, but he goes against the stereotype of masculinity and, you know, he makes paper flowers. He's very neat and tidy and he doesn't try to be anything different. He rejects social norms, which really frustrates Phil because he holds on to them so tightly. And though Phil does eventually find similarities in Peter. And I think you think realize with Peter too, Peter has just as much agency as Phil does. Like when Peter had to, it's not a great movie for animals <laughs> in this movie, but when Peter has to snap the bunny's neck because it has a broken leg, he has that brutality in him, you know? Um, there's another you go ahead and say add something (laughs) yeah I was just gonna say I think he's supposed to represent like a different kind of masculinity so Mm -hmm. he is like he's called all these different slurs he's made fun of he's heckled and he takes it really well yeah (laughs) like we see him a couple times really the first time like get upset about it and and storm off but um he takes it head on pretty well. And even when he is mocked about the, the, the flowers, I'm sorry, no, when he's, um, when Phil asks about who made these flowers and he like, uh-huh. he owns it. And I'm I like, did. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I did like what? So I think he represents maybe this different version of masculinity, someone who's that comfortable and confident to mm. be whatever the hell they want to be and do whatever yes. the hell they want to do. And then, yeah, go on. There's a really good quote I pulled from this article I read in Decider, and I think it speaks to that so well. It says, if masculinity is a prison, then Phil is trapped until the day he dies. George manages to escape and Peter was always free. And I feel like that really like puts it beautifully. I mean, (laughs) I know, right? It's like chills. Yeah. Um, But that is the case. Yeah. But then I, and I think there's a discussion too, then like, well, I think we'll save that for later. <laughs> okay. I will want to, I do want to get into like the ways that Phil and Peter are similar. Um, there is a scene where Phil tells Peter that Brocco Henry taught him to use his eyes in the ways that others can't. And they're looking at the mountains or hills, whatever they are. And um, Phil says, most people look at it and see a hill. And he asks Peter, what do you see? And Peter says, a barking dog. And Phil goes, wait, you can see that? Like he thinks he usually sees a dog. And Peter goes, no, the hill looks like a dog with its jaws wide open. And um, this kind of surprises Phil because that's what I think he sees too. And it just shows how much, how, how they are so different, but in the same sense, like he's finding similarities with him. And I think at this point, Peter had also known that Phil was gay because he happened upon his hideaway and Mm -hmm. um, Phil has this like Glenn that he goes to, to be by himself. And uh, Peter goes into it one day and finds a box and it has all of these male nudes in it. So I think Peter at that point definitely like had a sense of what was going on. Yeah. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Did you see the dog? fuck no I was I, like <laughs> I was squinting like what <laughs> I have to go back and look I saw a shot like 
the shadow of the like ridges reflecting onto the hill that looked like a like an open mouth dog mm-hmm. like a barking dog but I don't know if that was supposed to be it or if it's actually in the curves of the hillside. I was like looking at the hillside and I was like where are the jaws that are wide open it's like when people look at clouds and they're like that looks like such and yeah. such to me and I'm like no it looks like I don't know it's uh, something else anyway <laughs> yeah but it's also like Phil, you're not special. Like we all, <laughs> it's, it's like an optical illusion. Like anyone can look yeah. at a cloud or, or a shadow and see something. I'm not sure why you think that's so mm. profound. I also want to say y'all stop naming characters with similar names or names that start with the same God. letter because God, it's, damn it. it's really difficult to keep Peter it's, and Phil straight. It is so hard. Um, I will okay so how did you feel about their dynamic later because I feel like it got a little weird and not oh, because yeah. of like the homosexuality thing but because of the other relationships that they are to each other because technically they're uncle and nephew and yes and he's like 22 or something I feel like we hear yeah. his age at one point way older yeah um better well I think Peter is like 17 or oh I feel like uh, I thought he was maybe I'm maybe I'm misspeaking he's definitely like in school to be a doctor that's true Um, yeah there does seem to be an age gap and oh there is yeah there's a point where um hold on what was it that Peter asks when did you um know Rocco Henry when were whatever he asks uh, something and Phil says he was about Peter's age when the thing happened with Bronco Henry. But so there's, I don't know exactly how old um, Peter is, but he's definitely, there's yeah, he's a considerable age yeah. gap. Yeah. Um, and Benedict Cumberbatch, the actor is like 45. So I'll assume that the character is around um, that age. So that that's another power dynamic. That's a little um, unsettling. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're supposed to be relatives. Um, I, I think we alluded to this before. Like, I don't know how much you want to get into it now, but so it goes from Peter discovering his Glenn, right? And he walks in on Phil. I have to think really hard to get their names right. He walks in on Phil doing his thing. We'll probably talk about that later. And so it's very obvious, like, oh, okay, he has a secret and he's gay, he's into men. And Phil gets pretty pissed off and chases mm-hmm. Peter out. And then the next scene, they're like besties or, or I, Phil is yeah. befriending him and does a complete 180 in character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the what? only thing, because the first time I was like, maybe he's trying to get close to him so he can like mm-hmm. do something terrible to, to poor, poor Peter. But then I thought, well, maybe at this point enough time has passed and he's realized Peter hasn't said anything to anyone else that maybe feel, 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 Phil, it's really hard, um, feels a sense of like trustworthiness with Peter at that point. Yeah. I, I suspected I'm, too, I'm like, like, yeah, I thought straws. too, may, like maybe he is trying to like, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer kind of thing. Um, but then it kind of became more apparent that, that that wasn't the case. I don't know. What, was that the filmmaker's uh, intention is to like mislead us? And uh, I, I don't know. I think it was definitely a misdirect and to make us keep thinking that Phil is the, whatever, if you want to call him a villain, whatever, bad guy who were like, oh no, Peter, like, don't like, 
get caught up in this. Something bad's going to happen to you. And then it all switches and you're like, holy shit. So should we talk about the twist now? Yeah. Yeah. Get okay. Into it. So I feel like I knew the direction this movie was going. And then the last 90 seconds, I was like, oh, nope. Did not, did not see that coming <laughs> at all. It's a very surprise whodunit because Peter is the one who kills Phil in the end uh, because Phil tormented his mom. And so Phil got back at, or pff, Peter, so many peas got back at him. Um, so did you have any suspicions that this was how it was going to end? Uh, no, I think mm. when I first started, so first you have the whole, the the thing with the hides and everyone freaking out about the fucking hides and I was like what the mm. fuck is happening what did I miss um so it didn't tip me off but I was just like it was very what the fuck um I th- I think maybe when when Peter is like oh I have a hide that you can use I think that's when I was like oh <laughs> I think I see what's happening here. Uh, yeah, um, but no, I, mean, I didn't. I didn't see it coming any earlier than that. No, I felt like the twist I, of of like the things I didn't like about this movie. I will say I think the twist was very well done because not no point did I see it coming, and I feel like that is a key to a good twist. And you kind of like think about it after the fact and realize all of these things. Um, that happens so let's just go into all of the things it starts with the opening which I did not even realize till I was reading uh, some critics talking about this movie but the opening is a voiceover from Peter you don't realize it it's him at the time but he goes when my father passed I wanted nothing more than my mother's happiness for what kind of man would I be if I did not help my mother if I did not save her and that to tell you everything but it is done yeah like I honestly forgot that it happened I didn't even write it down because I was just like I don't know what I'm supposed to take away from this I'll maybe I'll like remember it later did not until didn't even remember it till after I was reading up on it so that's like hits you right off the bat with it yeah we had no idea what Mm. he what he really meant in that voice Mm. over yeah, I remember yeah. like hearing it being like, okay, that's sweet. Good for you, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just moved Great. on. Great. <laughs> yeah. But it it has so much meaning once you realize what's going on. So it's alluded yeah. to um that Peter is going to school. Well, he is going to school to be a doctor. And there's one scene that stood out to me where this is where I first started questioning things about Peter because he caught a bunny for his mom. But then later we see that he kills the rabbit to dissect it. And he explains, it's kind of explained away that he's like practicing to be a surgeon. So that's supposed to be the reason. But me watching it, I was like, hmm, I don't know how I feel about that. Isn't that how serial killers start? Or am I just overreacting? And clearly I was not. I think I was onto something. Yeah. um, At first, like when that's revealed, I'm like, oh yeah, he's he's a creep. Um, mm-hmm. he's up to no good, but then I was like, Oh no. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. He's a doctor. And especially back then you had fewer ways to study and learn and practice as mm-hmm. a med student, or I'm assuming this is in 1925. Um, and then, and then I took the cue from his mom from Rose and Rose wasn't that like shocked. Right. I mean, she said something like, I thought you liked the bunny or something like that. 
Um, or, you know, I like bunny, but like, she wasn't pissed. She wasn't worried. She wasn't creeped out. No, she was just like, don't do it in the house. Yeah. Like just don't murder bunnies in the house. Just do that outside. Um, (laughs) so I was like, okay, then I guess this is chill, whatever. (laughs) Right. Right. That that's yeah. The same takeaway I had was like, I guess he's just, you know, he's just using the tools that he has and the resources that he has and all right. Okay. Don't like that, but did you, did you dissect like frogs in school? Mm -hmm. Are we all serial killers? (laughs) because so did I I killed a <laughs> frog okay the frog yeah, was already true. dead and... wait, wait what you didn't know <laughs> wait, wait did they make students like boil frogs alive still that'd be awful god that reminds me of the E.T. movie um where he sets all the frogs free anyway the okay so after the ending I did rewind this was the first like thing I went back to watch again so Peter's with his mom yes Peter sorry Peter's with his mom after Phil has been uh tormenting her and she's been drinking a lot and he says mother you don't have to do this I'll see that you don't have to do this when I first heard him say that I was like oh he's like going to school so he can support his mom because he's going to be a doctor and maybe Mm. he'll like get her out of the situation no he means killing Phil in that sentence Um, yeah because then you see, and like the immediate scene after that is him on the floor looking at his medical book and the page that he is looking at has hands on it with cut marks on them. Stop. No, I kid you not. I was like, this, this guy is some villainous mastermind. I mean, Jesus Christ. That's okay. So here's the thing. If you go back and watch those moments or read up on them and start connecting all those dots, I feel like it becomes a cooler experience. The question is, is everyone going to do that? And should you, should you have to do that to enjoy a movie? (laughs) Yes, that was definitely, there was a interview between two critics, um, on, uh, was it slate and they had a really good dialogue about that the one person did not like this movie because of the fact that um they would have to like rewatch it back to get everything and de- and people who have said like when you rewatch it back it do- you do have a different perspective and you see it more clearly and it is really cool but you should i don't know if you like, cause I almost myself thought about free watching it back, but then after you texted me, I was like, oh, I don't think I can do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this so, is the first so movie I didn't want to rewatch. It was more so that I just had to like recall back to all of the things that I did not pick up on initially. Like the fact that he go, the reason like he kill or not kills, but he dissects the dead calf you think he's doing it because of his medical training but really it's because the cow died of anthrax and he's trying to get the hide so that he can give it to peter who or phil i don't know who i'm saying anymore you get what i'm talking about but yeah yeah like that whole thing um and it's sorry it's just it's mentioned in the beginning too that phil says if you see any dead cows don't go near him because of anthrax yeah I figured when we saw that um I also thought like okay I guess it's you know for medical purposes and I thought it was like oh shit that cow we know that cow's anthrax but maybe 
um, Peter doesn't know. And now something's going yeah, to happen to him. Um, oh, the other thing I was going to say is even to like, to on first viewing, be able to appreciate all those things. You have to have been paying attention and buying in mm-hmm. and in the movie. And like I mentioned before, because of all these different things, the pace and the writing and just all those things, I was within 30 minutes, I was out of that movie. I was paying mm-hmm. attention. I was, you know, I'm still watching it, um, but I, I was not buying in. And so I'm definitely not going to pick up on some of these nuances as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. I mean, I think because I was taking diligent notes and being like, "Hmm, this happened, this happened next, then this happened. And then I was able to go back through and be like, oh, but, but I remembered it. If I wasn't taking notes, I'm not so sure. Um, There was something else. Okay. So Mm. the part where um, Phil cuts his hand on the pole just that part alone made me think shit did he like fucking plan for that to happen too there were so many things that had to go according to his plan uh, hold on and r- it was... walk me through that because i can't the, when so, he cuts it this is a scene they go writing for the day um this was okay. the also the scene where um uh peter has to has to kill the rabbit who who's like got broken and what happens is like a rabbit goes under a bunch of poles and so phil and peter like try to take a bet on how many poles did they remove before the bunny runs out and um at one point like phil cuts his hand on one of the poles right i remember now and that was after peter skinned the cow yes okay yes yeah so that's a good question did he have a plan for him to cut his hand or did he just get really lucky i think uh he might have but it might have been like serendipitous that that he got his hand cut i because i also kept asking myself or um peter is going to school to be a doctor why is he not helping telling phil like you you want me to take care of that for you do you want me to like bandage that up for you and then you're like oh because he doesn't want to not that like phil would accept his help probably but I would thought it was odd that he didn't even offer. Um, right. Okay. The last thing I want to add to this point, we will get into some scenes, but um, what is it there? Okay. So in that scene too, there is an indication when they're talking about um, Peter, uh, Peter's dad, how he committed suicide um, because he hung himself and Peter was the one to find him and cut him down. And Peter says his dad used to worry that he wasn't kind enough and that he was too strong, which Phil like kind of laughs off. And he's like, oh, you don't have to worry about that. Like you, you know, you, he didn't take it seriously at all. But then you're like, oh, his dad like knew some shit. Yeah. And just to add, sorry, the other thing that, that I had read when I was, cause I do like look on imdb trivia for some things the only the one thing i did find that gave more insight is from the book and in the book another reason why peter kills phil is because peter's father john had an encounter with phil and his men where phil berated him and beat him and that led um his dad in on a path to alcohol oh so that's kind of like, huge. Yeah. So in a way, 
Bill kind of also like contributed to his dad's death. But that's in the book. Yes, in the book, right? In the movie, and not in the movie. movie. And it maybe should be because that would give, I think, enough motivation where I would have bought into that a little Mm -hmm. more. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. Because then it becomes more about just his mom and more about this like ultimate revenge that he has for ruining his parents' life. Um, Yeah. And I, I know that he was awful to her and to, to really everyone around him that, that Phil was awful, but he, it's not, he didn't physically hurt any of them. He didn't, to my recollection, like threaten physical harm to them. He wasn't like really standing in the way of something specific. Like, so, you know, he didn't prevent them from getting married or he wasn't trying to inherit everything take her piece of the pie whatever it is so it's like was peter justified (laughs) right and i don't think bill deserved to die personally um yeah i can understand like where peter would feel hatred toward phil but killing him was a bit extreme (laughs) Yeah, it just was uh, not necessary. Like there's other yeah. con- conflict resolution that we could have tried. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm on I'm on the page of like, I don't think his actions justified his death. I agree. And I think Peter is a villain. <laughs> Peter was the real villain all along. And they didn't tell us. <laughs> this is acting. <laughs> oh my god (laughs) okay all right well we should probably talk about some scenes um we will start at the very beginning a very good place to start (laughs) um so phil and george we said they're brothers they took over their parents ranch and they're going on a cattle run together it's been like the first time that they've gone on a run in 25 years and we see that these two have absolutely nothing in common right off the bat. Like Phil wants to go camping and cook elk liver on the coals. And George is like, no, nah, man, I want to take a bath. Have you been, have you tried the house bath? It's very comfy. Uh, I find that very relatable. <laughs> these essential yeah. oils are wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my skin. It's so soft. And, and don't you want to, don't you want to take a bath and not stink all fucking day? But yeah, I mean, George definitely doesn't seem interested in Phil's cowboy lifestyle anymore. Phil says at one point, it pains you to hitch two words together um, to just emphasize that George does really like, George is very like, I think um, has a wall up, I'm sure because Phil's act treated him poorly his whole life. So Phil, or I'm sorry, God, these names, George at this point is so just like emotionally distant. He's like, all right, that's how Phil's going to be, then I'm just not going to let him bother me. Yeah, I think he's like disassociated to some extent. Yeah. Um, so then let's see. We also get introduced to Rose and Peter at this point. So Rose is an innkeeper and we see, this is where we see that Peter's different, where he makes 
photo albums and flowers out of paper. But then, so like you see, I'm kind of come across as this kind, sweet boy. But then something I didn't notice until I rewatched is that Rose says, I need three chickens. Can you do them? And so you realize like, oh, he's capable of handling brutality, I guess. Yeah. But I think during that time though, in the 1920s, like, yeah. And anyone had to be able to do that. Plus, you know, her husband, his father was gone. Mm. So someone had to Mm. step up. So I didn't necessarily take it as like, or wouldn't take it as like a cue or like a signal of like what Mm. he's really capable of because like you can't just go to yeah Kroger and buy, and buy the chicken like someone's got to do it um, oh man they did say they wanted fried chicken and I was like oh that sounds really good that fried chicken looked good damn I know Ooh, now I want fried chicken um oh, did you gosh. say that this was the first ride in a long time or something yeah or it was, it was like the- first in 25 years okay because I was wondering like wouldn't they have known Rose? Like, would they have passed through that town before and met her? Um, th- those kind of details are a little murky to mm. me. But yeah, I don't know how often they went to town. They did have a car too, so mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't like impossible for them to get down there. But maybe they just never went to the inn because they yeah. didn't need to. So you definitely know that these two parties are going to clash. And when you watch it, like for me. I just felt like it wasn't going to go well when the cowboys walked into the inn and it starts with Phil mocking the flowers on the table that Peter made. He ends up burning some. He makes fun of how Peter holds the wine cloth and the way that he speaks. And he also yells at the patrons playing piano because he's just painted as a real shit bag in this scene. Yeah. It's just so over the top. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I read somewhere that Phil like commands any room he walks into and mm. I actually didn't feel that because it was like his his style his way of doing that was just like so overt almost desperate um and like we the, the other cow hands are like a little peanut gallery <laughs> and they're oh God, th- yeah. they're there but we never really we don't meet any of them you know really mm-hmm. um barely like put the camera on them so I can't really get a read on how other people in a room actually respond and feel about him. Um, but again, there's like, there's so little that's subtle about this movie and, and Phil's the way that he deals with people and walks into a room is just the opposite of, of subtle. And it's just like a little extra for me. Yeah. I feel like he's assumed the Bronco Henry role for a lot of like the younger Cowboys because, and not in like the, I think homosexual homosexual ways but more so just this like idol and this figure who is kind of like a legend and they know they talk about these stories of Bronco Henry doing these things and um Phil idolizes him and I think the other cowhands or cowboys on the ranch idolize Phil in kind of a similar way yeah I think what I'm what I was trying to say is it feels unearned. Like if he's supposed to be so respected and revered, it feels very unearned to me. Mm. Yeah. So, um, hold on. I lost my place in my notes. So Phil after this point, doesn't see anything wrong that he's done as far as how he treated Peter and, you know, George comes by and I guess tries to scold him, but 
it's also interesting because at no point George never like loses his cool with his brother mm-hmm. you know he there's a like the point where Phil doesn't come to dinner and George is like you know like it's really hard for me to tell you this but you should like wash up and he doesn't come to dinner George never gets angry at him about that um George like never yells back at him at the end when Phil's yelling about the hides like George just seems very distant so George like kept his cool a lot yeah their so their interactions when they were like in public and in front of other people um Phil is cruel to him and calling him fatso and so you think wow there's got to be like a really interesting dynamic and history between these two brothers and so the opportunity to get to really dive into that is when they're in private right but Mm -hmm. when they are in private like i felt like there's so much expectation for something to happen like phil's gonna be even more abusive or like actually physically Mm -hmm. abuse him or something um or george is going to snap or yell or just something but instead it's like super even keel Phil even kind of like almost backs off a little bit. Like he's less, he's a little less cruel. Um, mm-hmm. and, and George is, yeah, George is just kind of like blase about it, but they, yeah. they feel a little more like equals when they're in private, which is mm, yeah interesting, I guess. Yeah, I think Phil definitely like tr- Phil just tries so hard to relate to George and to um like ha- just just have some sort of camaraderie with his brother. Yeah. And George just won't bite. He's just like oh. and then like Phil's trying to tell this big story about Bronco Henry at the dinner and George is like I don't even know what you're talking about. And just really like brings him down um because yeah. it's all he talks about is bronco henry Ugh. and this ride is like, like dude he's like god <laughs> damn it stop talking about bronco henry oh my god do you um, think i don't think we have any indication either way in the movie but do you think george knows i don't know yeah it would seem odd because they are so close together um that he wouldn't have some sort of inkling Mm -hmm. but there's really no way to know like yeah I don't think he ever gives any sort of indication I feel like he wouldn't care yeah I don't think he would either and because George it's just it's just frustrating because like Bill feels like he has to be this macho man and George is like I don't think he would have to be that for George like George would be like I'm just like I like my I like bass I like um like the point where he get, he gets married to Rose um and they're like driving and they stop for a picnic and they start dancing and George starts crying and he goes I finally don't feel alone god that was like really that that one I think that was when I feel like he did his best um Jesse Plemons in this role in that scene because he just like has nobody which is interesting because he does, he has Phil. Um, but he feels like he has nobody. Right. Yeah, I know. And um, it's gotta be frustrating for Phil. Cause he's like, I'm right yeah. here, man. I know. Like you have a built-in best friend for life. <laughs> I know. They share a bedroom together with twin beds. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. So like I said, uh, Rose and George get married 
out of the blue. I did really like the scenes um, before that though, where George like tries to comfort Rose and he like goes to her work the next day and he wants to like talk to her and she's like, um, dude, I'm busy working. And he goes, that's fine. I'll just sit in the corner and watch you. Um, which was a little awkward, but then he like gets up <laughs> and helps her serve mm-hmm. the dinner and he like, I don't know, he just seemed really nice in that scene. I liked him a lot at that point. Yeah, that was um, a nice scene. And then there when they pull off um yeah. on the side of the road, I thought that was nice yeah. as well. So so then Rose comes to live um with with George and Phil and this is where Phil's contention to Rose really gets bad um so George buys Rose a piano it's this beautiful grand baby or baby grand piano and she keeps saying she's not good enough to play it and she only knows tunes and George is like I just that's fine I don't care I just want to hear you play he's very sweet but uh Rose starts practicing and she shuts all the doors and then you see, so she starts playing the doodle-doodle-doodle-doodle. Oh my God, that song is stuck in my head. Um, but you see Phil in the background and she doesn't notice he's there, but he walks up the stairs. And so Rose notices though that the back door is open all of a sudden. So she realizes Phil is in the house. And Phil is, she's just very like unnerved by Phil. He's not been kind or welcoming to her. And so as she tries to play the song, Phil plays it at the same time on the banjo and like when she stops he stops and he's very much mocking her in this scene like look how much better I can play this than you <laughs> so it's um, very yeah. creepy the scene mm-hmm. the, the um I guess the way it's paced and shot and the back and forth it's very um kind of horror movie-esque mm-hmm. um I actually like I liked this scene and it is like he, he's tormenting her oh in yes this, in this scene um I'm trying to think though like okay so when she first arrives at the house he basically says that uh I think accuses her of just being there for like the money and security yeah um I can't remember a suicide widow he calls her mm-hmm. um what else does he like say or do to her um I mean though so I don't think he calls her a suicide widow. That's when he's writing a letter to mm-hmm. his mom, which was, oh my gosh, so juvenile to be like, ah, this is what George is doing and you need to step in and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, just grow up. Like your brother is a grown man. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. Uh, and if you don't like it, you can get it. Just, just go yeah. somewhere else. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that part, um, was annoying but yeah other than the fact that I think and it's really right off the bat it's because Phil mocked her son so she Mm -hmm. already has like a bad impression of him and then when she comes to live there um there's a scene where I think Jess not Jesse that's the actor um George has to go fix the generator and so she's left alone with Phil and that's when he's like says I don't know something shitty to her so yeah Yeah. so my point I think is that this scene is really like the culmination of that torment and really the, Mm -hmm. the more, the, the most, the, the most torment we see or like the, um, most tense moment. And it's a really good one, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's enough to me again, to explain motivations. Um, yeah. Peter's motivations. 
And it's or, also like, sorry. Oh, sorry. I was, or roses. She becomes, she becomes a drunk. She becomes an alcoholic, which there has to be more happening. Like, yeah. Behind the scenes. That just felt, but it yeah. felt like a cop out, honestly. Like, let's just make her, let's just take, let's just take Rose kind of set her over here and make her a drunk. So we don't yeah. have to work with her. Yeah. I didn't really like how they, what they did with Rose personally, but, um, yeah, definitely this scene it's like becomes this whole like cat and mouse game, I think Mm -hmm. between the two of them. So then, you know, we see like George, I think start to like liven up because of Rose a little bit. So he invites his parents and the governor and the governor's wife over for a dinner party. And this is where George tells Phil and he's having a hard time saying it that uh, she might mind if you come to the table without a wash up. And so we're like, oh, that's not going to go over well. And later Phil does not come to dinner because he's like, tell them I stink and I like it. Um, Real peach. So then uh, George turns their home into this like island of civilization and serves drinks with umbrellas in them. Like um, he's trying to make it very lively and fun. And this is where, okay, another thing that was not explored, only dropped very, very fast, was that we learned that Phil was Phi Beta Kappa at Yale. So he went to college, which adds this whole other layer to who he is, but they never explore that again. Right. I think it's supposed to explain because then there are comments, I don't know if it's the governor or his wife, um, George says it when he, when he goes to try to ask Phil to come to dinner of like, I was counting on your conversation. And there's Mm -hmm. a comment about like, um, about his, his wit, um, and that he is a good conversationalist, which again, I, I don't think we actually see. And I think the Mm -hmm. whole, he went to Yale, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, that that's supposed to back up this idea that he's actually this really complex, smart, interesting human that's, that is is charismatic. Like that summary said, Um, (laughs) and I was just like, okay, that's kind of a curveball. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of wish they had gotten into that a little bit more. And I think there's at one point where Phil mocks George again, and he says, you were too dumb to like get through college. Um, So yeah, I want, I just want to know what happened. He did, uh, Phil did say, have a couple of sayings in like Latin, I think mm, earlier oh yeah, in the movie. Did. Yeah, he did. He does. Um, it's also interesting to note that for me, when we meet Phil's parents, they are not at all like I pictured them to be from what Phil was saying of them as like the old lady and the old gent or something. Mm-hmm. They're like, enjoying their retired life and clearly value education but he just made them seem so not that I guess yeah like old and frail and like ranchers and yeah yeah Yeah. so um meanwhile like Rose thinks the whole time or I'm sorry she looks the whole time that she is going to literally throw up she's traumatized at this point she's like shaking and scared she doesn't like feel like she can talk to George's parents um or the governor and then George keeps telling everybody how well Rose plays the piano despite Rose being very clearly uncomfortable with wanting to play the piano in front of people and this was the one time where I was like George you need to listen and understand she doesn't want to play in front of people right now 
Um, so she gets to the piano and she can't, she's too nervous. And then in comes Phil whistling the tune. I can't whistle, but it's like, and he's teasing Rose. He goes, you didn't play. You sure did practice a terrible lot. And so like, after she had been like, I'm terribly out of practice. And so, um, yeah. And then, then we see her take her, take a drink. And this is like leading her on to becoming a drunk. Yeah, th- those must have been really good drinks because she uh, guzzles <laughs> it down. This is definitely, this is George performing and trying to be this idea of a like civilized gentleman. Yeah. I and mean, he's trying so hard to mm-hmm. impress the governor and his wife. And I think that's part of why Rose is kind of like deer in headlights because she's like, I don't, yeah. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting in this scene how his mom is very much like, why didn't you come to dinner? I was so worried about you. And he was like, I didn't wash. And she goes, you didn't wash. And it's just so like counter to what he made his parents sound like um, when he was describing them earlier. So definitely interesting. I also want to say this house is really fucking cool the house oh, yeah. itself like typically if you you picture like old american west or you movies shows that you've seen set in old american west you picture like ranches mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of land this house is very um i guess modern it's a mansion like a it's huge mansion. it's yeah. huge yeah it's very um like it feels like it feels like this american west and 1920s city life kind of not clashing but colliding yeah. um, kind of out in the middle of nowhere and I've, I feel like I've never quite seen that so that mm-hmm. was I don't know if that was interesting yeah. yeah I liked the house setup too I was like damn that's a nice house mm-hmm. very large and a mansion essentially um so we're really just going to skip to the end now at this point because do this it. is like the culminating scenes so uh, leading up to the climax of this movie, while Phil and Peter go off on that ride that we talked about earlier, Rose decides to give Phil's hides to a Native American group who are passing by. And it's mentioned that Phil would rather pile them all up and burn them before he gives them away. And so Rose sees this as an opportunity to get back at Phil as retribution for literally ter- terrifying her. And she's also guaranteed by doing this, she's guaranteeing to piss off Phil. And that's essentially what happens. When does he say, I would rather burn them? I think it's the cook who says to Rose, he would rather pile them all up and burn them before he gives them to the Native Americans. And then later, like Phil says, I needed them. And George was like, what's the harm? You were just going to burn them anyway. Um, further confirming that I don't fucking know why he would create all of those hides and then just burn them. Um, but yeah, I had another read on that. I'm like, I don't know if oh. I should say it now or later. I'm going to say that, that the last okay, thing. Okay. So where was I? So then Phil and Pete come back from their ride and Phil is clearly upset that the hides are gone and he tells George he needed the hides 
And I really love how George in this moment was just like, well, sorry, they're gone. <laughs> and walks away. Yeah. Uh, and so why did this, he, why oh. did he need them? I don't know. Cause he needed them. Like he was upset. He needed them. <laughs> I am an actor. I need my hides. <laughs> Um, cause um, I was like it's the, the whole hide thing and we'll get back yeah. to it at the end. I was just like, what, what? why is everyone freaking out? Calm down. <laughs> right. I don't know. I, it's so, it's so bizarre, but so then Peter steps in at this point and he goes, Hey, I got some raw hide for you. <laughs> and, um, to be honest though, this is another like part of Peter's dastardly plan was like, I don't think he planned on this happening where his mom gave away the hides. And so it created an opportunity for Peter to be like, Hey, I have this hide that you can use, but it was definitely serendipitous that it happened that way. It was the only thing that he had left. Cause, Oh, I don't think we mentioned this. Um, Bill is trying to make Peter a rope, the whole, like whole, like once they become friends or whatever, he's just trying to make him a rope. Yeah, so out of hide. Maybe that's why he needed the hides. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and say, okay. A, I don't even want to call it a theory because it's just a, a thought. Once I finished the movie and I started to try to think back on some things and make sense of some things, the, hide, the whole hide freak out made me wonder did Rose know about Peter's plan? And they needed to get rid of the hides so that Peter could say, here's my hide, right? And that's why she freaked out. Cause she's like, fuck, that would ruin the plan. If they don't take the hides, right? Wow. I, <laughs> oh man. For someone who hates this movie, <laughs> I actually had a, <laughs> no, a I'm decent theory. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know what other breadcrumbs are in there that would, that would indicate whether Rose knew or not, but that's kind of the only thing that makes the whole hide thing make sense. That's why when you were talking about, she saw it as an opportunity to like piss off uh, Phil. I was like, oh, I hadn't even really picked up on that. And I don't know if that's strong enough for her freak out. <laughs> Personally, I don't know that the people who made this movie were <laughs> clever enough to think of that, <laughs> but that is a damn good like conspiracy that- and then do you know, so when she gives the hides, they give her a pair of gloves that she's, yeah, seems very they into. Mm -hmm. It just, it was weird, wasn't it? Like how she kind yeah. of reacted to the gloves. And I, that's why I felt like she wanted to get rid of the hides. The one, uh, one of the articles that I read said it was like, she was trying to get rid of bad spirits, like trying to like get them out of the, get them mm. off the property. And maybe that was part of it. And so when they give her the gloves in exchange for it, she's so like, she finds them so beautiful and she just has this like beauty, beauty, like that's given to her and this kindness that's put like toward her that she's just overcome with emotion and then she passes out <laughs> it's so bizarre it's all of it is just just what yeah okay I don't know but I like your theory I think uh I don't Thanks. think that's was the case but I I like it as a as an idea I wish that yeah. were the case um so then Phil and Peter go to finish the rope and what follows is probably the most sinister scene 
one of the most sinister scenes I wrote in cinema. Now I think I was overdoing <laughs> it <laughs> of the movie, perhaps not cinema. Well, I don't want to give it that much credit, but um, it's, I think in large part because the music makes it feel like a horror movie. This is where I was like, what am I supposed to be watching? Because the movie, like literally the captions, as we have said, we watch, I watch with the captions on and it said in brackets, uneasy music. So you're like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm uneasy. Uneasy. <laughs> I like the idea of captions telling us how to feel (laughs) yeah how to feel yeah just just in case you didn't know but yeah so Phil works on the hide and puts his cut up hand into the water with the infected hide and I didn't really think anything of it except I was like oh you should probably get that hand checked out dude yeah (laughs) it was pretty gnarly yeah yeah that's definitely that moment when his hands are in the water with the hide. That's when mm-hmm. I really was like, okay. But I didn't connect it to Peter knowing like at all. I was, and I yeah. didn't even connect it to the hide necessarily at that point. I was just like, oh, I think Phil's going to get sick because uh, I mean, an exposed flesh wound in 1920s Montana does not bode well for you. <laughs> you, said, you said Montana with, with such disdain. <laughs> I was actually, like, it's not really Montana, it's New Zealand, but oh right, where they true. filmed it, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, Montana. <laughs> oh, okay, super random. I just want to note um Sam Elliott's comment about what the fuck does she oh. know? Um mm-hmm. Chloe Zhao, right? She has a fascination with the American West. She is um Chinese born, and she is a great example of someone who is able to go into the West, embed herself in the community and portray that world so beautifully. And I don't know how accurately, right? But um, Mm -hmm. so like, if he's implying you have to be American to tell the stories, which I don't know if he is, but but no, you absolutely do not. And and in terms of the location of where you shoot it or where you shoot it, yeah, authenticity is great, but that's just not always feasible or whatever is cheaper that's what I yeah. think I, that's like why they filmed it in New Zealand because it was cheaper it was also during the pandemic and like they yeah, had to like pause this, and yeah this movie like yeah. got pushed back so many times to yeah. now in 20 well it was I guess it came out in 2021 and or yes. was it 2020 yeah okay yeah 2021 yeah Anyway, sorry, big tangent there. Uh, No, you're fine. So the other thing I noticed watching back, because this was one scene I watched back, was that Peter stares at the water as Phil puts his hands into it. And there's a a twinge of a smile in his eye, which is super Mm. unnerving, where he's just like, "Uh, uh, uh." (laughs) like, Um, my plan is working. (laughs) (sighs) Um, Okay, so then also like, Phil opens up to Peter in the scene about Bronco Henry Moore. This is when he shares how they met and a story about how Bronco Henry saved his life once. They were up in the hills shooting elk and the weather turned bad. So Bronco Henry kept Phil alive by laying body to body in a bedroll. And Peter adds on to this. He goes naked and Phil just chuckles. And this is something else I had read was like, when Peter asks this, you notice a power dynamic switch and it mm-hmm. makes a lot more sense when you know what's hap- what happens at the end of the movie too. Totally. It's definitely, I think, his most sinister mm-hmm. scene Nick. that Peter- Naked. 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 
Um, so then they share a cigarette and you think like oh, yeah. something is going to happen, but then it just cuts to the next morning and you, you yeah, know, that's the end of it. So what did you think of like this whole scene first watching it? Um, Were you unnerved? I was unnerved. I was uneasy yeah. and, I, and I didn't have the captions on. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was about to go somewhere else with the whole cigarette thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good point. You do kind of see the power dynamic shift. And I think Phil seems much more vulnerable and is, even though he does it, doesn't know he's physically he is exposed. Vulnerable. He's metaphorically exposed. and literally. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember and not, and I don't know how I don't, um, you know, when I, I said, when he put his hands in the water with the rawhide, I knew that's not good. Um, uh, but I can't, I can't remember when I connected it to Peter and Peter knowing if it was in this scene or in the next scene, but it's for me, it wasn't until the end. So when they cut to the next day, we see Phil is missing, which is very unusual for him to be missing. And he's sick and beg, beg, <laughs> he's sick in bed. Jesus. I was, I saw bed and George together and I just combined them, but George is like, yo dude, we got to get you to a hospital or a doctor, man. Like he is sweaty. His hand is blackened at this point. Like it is bad. And Phil though is like, he fucking picks up the rope again with his infected hand just to add another like level of like get some more anthrax in me spoiler um and he's trying to like find peter to give it to him never finds him which at first i was like oh i'm sad he like never got to find peter but then peter was also pacing back and forth in his room which you realize later why um when phil grabs the rope and he's like peter <laughs> he's, he's looking <laughs> peter, for peter where are you um do you think because i think it's possible that phil started connecting the dots but he was so sick and weak and he was like and when he says mutters peter's name if it's like peter Uh, (laughs) that peter he got got peter (laughs) just just some food for thought again i don't know if the (laughs) who the person who wrote this was um not that she wasn't smart enough to like put it in there but just that it was like you know so much else not thought about yeah not like thought through Mm -hmm. um so and then that's the last we see of phil because he's being driven to the doctor and then it cuts to black and in the next scene george is looking at coffins and i wrote oh shit phil died (laughs) i didn't like (laughs) he said oh damn (laughs) (laughs) i did not like i i i truly did not think he was going to die i thought he would just get really sick um and then have to like be you know recovered or whatever and then maybe he'd have a redemptive moment or something but nope he dies yeah again it's another moment it just like just happened real just fast happened. which is yeah. like for you know your main character what a shitty death because we don't get to like actually spend any time with him or see mm-hmm. it happen or it's just right. oh, he's yeah. gone well, and then when they're at the funeral later, George is talking to the doctor and the doctor says he's pretty sure Phil died of anthrax. And George says, well, that's weird because he was really careful not to handle dead animals. And I think that's when it clicked for me that, but even still at this point, 
I was fully thinking that Peter didn't mean for that to happen and that he was going to have to live with his guilt, which Mm -hmm. is why Peter's also not at the funeral. Did you notice that too? He Mm -mm. doesn't go to the funeral, but the reason was uh, was Rose there. Yeah. Rose was there. Okay. And she seemed visibly upset. I mean, but I don't know, maybe she had conflicting feelings about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or knew everything. Okay. So, so when did you connect it? So it wasn't in, so Pete reads the Bible verse from it's the order of the burial of the dead. And this is where the title of the movie comes up. It says, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. And even then I was like, didn't connect for me. I was like, okay, there's the title of the movie. They threw that in there. It wasn't until you see Peter on the bed holding the rope with the gloves on. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, and then he hides it under his bed. And then he goes to the, like the window after that. And he sees Rose and George outside. They're like seeming to have a nice moment again where they're kissing and he smiles. And then that's when I was like, oh, I think he did this on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think he's a bad man. Um, Oh no. So I think when I, when it was like really confirmed for me was when Phil going to the doctor, he's holding the rope and he says, Peter. And then that just started, that made me think of Mm. Peter and then just start like connecting everything there. I have a question for doctors. Would the anthrax still be on like that finished completed rope that's been, I don't, maybe it hasn't been treated. <laughs> Peter is like, but... I'm not taking any chances. Yeah. I'm going to hand, cause nobody else touched the rope. I looked back at it and I was like, I thought maybe George did at one point, but George also had gloves on. Um, so even if he did touch it, like, I don't true. The other thing too, is like, does, do you have to like have an exposed wound in order for it to get right. into your bloodstream and all of that. I do not know the answer to that, but Peter was like meticulous and he was like, just in case I'm going to wear gloves when I hold this rope. And he keeps the rope. Mm. What if this is like an origin story for because serial, serial killer? Keep, serial killers yeah. keep things of the they victims. Keep it and potentially he could use it again. He could, if George steps out of line, yeah, he could use it on George or like, yeah, <laughs> like he's keeping this as if it's like a knife or a gun. Like it's an, it's just another weapon. How long do you think anthrax lasts on this? This is my, this is my question. I need a doctor to, mm. to chime You're in. You're going to have to do some research on this after the fact. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. And I guess like, so That's who it. is the real villain at the end of this? Peter, a hundred percent. To me, it wasn't, it wasn't a killing out of like self-defense or even really survival. Again, like if, if it was clear that Phil was standing in the way of their, their income, their livelihood, something like that. Okay. That starts to justify it a little more to me, but just because like, he's mean to me and my mommy, not, not not her happiness. Fuck that. (laughs) Just kidding. No. Oh, okay. Here's the other thing too. I was going to say before it's really frustrating. It's like, Rose, have a conversation with George. Be like, yo, your brother's yeah. re- real fucking weird. He's creeping me out. He's making me and my son uncomfortable. He's, you know, 
cruel to us, whatever. And I, and I feel like George would be a total, um, yeah. In terms of like, I don't think he would do anything about it. I mean, other than, other than maybe go to, um, Phil and be like, uh, you know, (laughs) you should maybe stop. You should be nicer. (laughs) Yeah. But I still feel like we needed to see that out of Rose. And again, to kind of like, if she's turning to alcohol and becoming an alcoholic, I need to know that she was pushed to that point mm-hmm. um, and that she had some fight in her uh, before going there. I, I don't know. I just, I wanted yeah, to I would see have that. Liked to have, yeah, I would have liked to have seen Rose as a more adversary to Phil, you know, yes. in some ways. Yes. She felt very portrayed, very meek. Um, and I would have liked to have seen her have a little bit more strength in this but you yeah know, her husband died maybe she just didn't have it in her before you know george yeah i don't know mm. well that's it that's the power of the dog we made it that wasn't as painful as i thought it would be yeah that was fun i mean <laughs> yeah i mean it's not it was better movie. better than the movie <laughs> it was all of our impressions and our um, uh, reenactments, I'd say. Okay, so we'll go to our why the flick moments. And my first why the flick, I don't know if this can be answered, but why the flick did George stick around for us with Phil for as long as he did? It's a good question. I mean, so they both inherited the farm, ranch. the ranch, thank you, um, and presumably the house. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, I wouldn't walk away from that. I wouldn't walk yeah. away from all that land and from that house. And so then it would be a matter of George kicking Phil out, which I also I wish George happened. Is too, yeah, George is probably yeah. too nice. Like, I'm sure George does care about his brother. There has to be. Yeah, that's another good question. Like, how how does George feel about Phil? Yeah. And like, why, why aren't they closer? <laughs> what, th- they have a whole ass history that we don't even really get a peek at yeah you know I wonder if Bronco Henry had anything to do with it um yeah probably in some sense like maybe and maybe just Phil or I'm sorry maybe George just didn't like the cowboy lifestyle and he was like I'm just not into it any anymore which Phil I don't even does do you think he really likes the cowboy lifestyle or is he just using it as a cover yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's a cover, it's a facade, it's, it's like a comfort blanket at this point mm-hmm. for him, you know, it's kind yeah. of, it's kind of all he knows because he's forced himself to be this person. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He seemed to really enjoy that mud bath. <laughs> I so. mean, a mud bath is good for the skin. I hear it's very exfoliating. So, which by the way, we didn't even talk about like how we really learn about Bronco Henry um about his relationship yeah when he's in the glen and yeah yeah I thought that was scene was pretty I didn't I thought it was pretty well done um because there's no spoke nothing spoken it's just Phil in the glen and he has a handkerchief I think from Mm -hmm. Bronco Henry and you like he's holding it he's holding this cloth and um you don't even realize what it is until you see the bh initials on it and then you're like oh it's bronco henry's um handkerchief 
Mm-hmm. And then he's like rubbing it all over his body. Yes. He's like caressing it. It's on his face. Um, and he, he has taken his shirt off at this point and he's just like laying in the grass and yeah, that's where it is. Like finally revealed. It was another one of those things that's like super not subtle. That's very like erotic and sexualized and mm-hmm. even like fetishized. And again, you know, is that problematic um or just just too much over the top you know I don't know it's my turn turn. yes it's weird because I don't have a lot of why the flicks because the whole movie is why the flick for me (laughs) just just two hours of why the flick um but here's one why the flick is Rose petrified of the piano what the fuck happened to this woman with the piano I mean she she used to play in a pit Right. Mm-hmm. She used to play Showcase. for the for the the cinema, the, the moving pictures, eh? Um, <laughs> um, I mean, it is right. Like that performance is it's a lot. Like, like you said, in that whole scene, she looks terrified and like she's gonna throw up, and like it's just the worst thing ever. And I'm like, what, what, what's happening here? I feel like Phil has something to do with why she's so terrified to play but he's not even there I know I mean and if that was like I mean we know that's not the most traumatic thing to happen to her because her husband killed himself yeah um yeah it was just a little bizarre so I'm gonna try to say this quickly I had a um a short film project when I was in film school I had the script written and I sent it to one of my former professors to kind of get his thoughts on the script. And there's a scene without explaining all of it. There's a scene where she, the main character is trying to decide which wine to drink. And she's looking back and forth between like the wines on the dinner table. And it was written, like she's having like a panic attack over this. (laughs) And and my professor like emails me back. And he's like, what the hell is wrong with this woman? Is she a drunk? Which was, she wasn't at all. That wasn't part of the Uh story. Um, because the performance was just like, or the writing was just like so much and so, and just too intense. And that's mm-hmm. what this feels like for me. Like it was maybe overwritten or overplayed mm-hmm. because it kind of just comes off weird. Like what, what is the deal with the piano? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, Cause she just says she's hesitant about him even getting the piano at first mm-hmm. because she's like, she says, I mean, it's too good for me. Um, I don't know. Maybe she just wants to live a quiet life and not be fucking asked to play a piano. She doesn't want to play the fucking piano. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck the piano. (laughs) Okay. I feel like this is one that you might have too. So I'm sorry if I I stole it from you, but why the flick do they have to show a bull getting castrated? Yeah. I feel like a lot was made of that. And I was just by that point, I think I was kind of numb <laughs> with this movie. So I was like, a, f- a fucking course for seeing this. <laughs> oh, I didn't watch it. I was like, uh, oh, really? I'm just like, yeah, I refuse. Um, I don't need to see that. No, thank you. Yeah, I guess I would, I don't know, just real desensitized to bull castration. Um, <laughs> but Look. I did, I did read that it was a prosthetic. Um, oh, he, I guess, Benedict Cumberbatch learned how to do that. Yes. I don't know if he actually did it on a real, yeah. Um, Oh, but, but about that, 
and this was a good point that I read too, that scene, they all act like this is a crazy thing to happen and a big deal to, to have to wrangle and castrate a bull. That's like your everyday life when you have that many cattle, like the, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. I feel like they were more like shocked that he did it with his bare hands. And then he like also like takes the knife and puts it in his mouth. And I was like, that's how you got anthrax. The the fact that George would be surprised that he died of anthrax. I mean, look at it. Right. I know he's I like, mean, don't touch the dead cows, but I mean, but he didn't bathe for like a week. So <laughs> yeah, like this was bound to happen. Um, so I mentioned this because you said there's a scene that you would care never to watch again. And I thought that was it, but now I'm not sure. Sure. No, no, no. I meant, I never want to watch any scene from this movie again. Oh. <laughs> I just never want to watch this movie. I again. read that as I never want to watch a scene again. And then I no. was like, which scene? No. Um, yeah. Like I said before, all of the movies that we've watched, well, okay. The other woman, I didn't want to, I don't want to watch it again either, but <laughs> most movies I want to watch a second time. I don't think I want to watch this a second time. Like I'm good. Yeah. Um, did you have any more why the flicks? Um, let me scroll really quick. I had one more. Mm, okay. Here we go. Why the flick is this movie nominated for like 22 oh, Oscars? Let's snap. talk about it. Let, seriously. Um, the fact that Johnny Greenwood is nominated for this, but not Spencer, which was, look, I know all these things are subjective in a matter of opinion, but to me, it's so fucking clear, um, how much more brilliant and integral the music is, um, in Spencer. Why the, why the flick, why the fuck is it nominated? Is he nominated, um, for this, um, Benedict Cumberbatch was fine. I don't think it's a standout career making performance spencer is for mm -hmm. but she but she is nominated yeah. um cinematography is nominated again it's not bad or it's, it's good um but spencer is not nominated for cinematography which is insane especially when you compare <laughs> it uh, to um this movie and i i'm gonna say something I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And this actually, I kind of thought about this when we talked about um, the descendants. So we question with the descendants, why that portrayal of Hawaiians was accepted and Aloha was so panned. And we both kind of talked about it being a different standard, even though Emma Watson as a white woman who's having success, it was definitely privileged in this industry who's more privileged, George Clooney as a white man, and he's been around longer, et cetera. So there's like this different standard and it feels like the bar is lower maybe for certain people in this industry. And I wonder the same thing with this. So I think just by Benedict Cumberbatch putting on an accent and looking dirty and putting on a hat, playing a cowboy, everyone is just drooling over that. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes it like a shoe in for all these Oscar nominations. Yeah. And you also have the fact that like it was female cinematographer, female writer and director, and they are all nominated as well. And I'm not saying it, this movie was only nominated because of the cast, but like that is, that's a, I don't care what you say. That's a huge driving force. It's who you actually yeah. see 
um, on screen. And so it just, it makes me wonder again, if the bar is just set lower. Hmm. Yeah. For I think some it's a people. point. This movie also, to be honest, smells like an Oscar nominated movie. And sometimes, not all movies, but sometimes it feels like movies get nominated because they fall within a certain, you know, check mark of like, this is, this is, this is high cinema. What, what, whoever yeah. fucking Oscar gods determine that, but this is what it should be. This checks all the boxes. So it will get nominated. And whether you like this movie or not, I mean, I think, you know, I don't want to take away from people who thoroughly enjoyed it and um, see the value in it. For me, I just can't like connect those dots. So when it comes and, and like everything's everything's subjective, everybody has their own opinion. I get that. Um, but I do feel like there's a trend with especially awards and especially Oscars of like these movies are. Uh, high cinema and these movies are not and it's a very like straightforward line and like it's like almost impossible to like break that down yeah I think that's part of it but again Spencer is is high art and that's it's something that's That's what we think but 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 it is like it's not traditional right like in terms of its approach it's the furthest thing from traditional like we talked about um so I feel like that should (laughs) I feel like that should be a shoe in, in terms of like what, what you're talking about also, because well, for best picture, anyway, we have 10 nominees, including don't look up, um, (laughs) which I enjoyed, but also I don't, don't know if it's a best picture. Just, yeah. yeah. I'm just like, I'm just starting to wonder with Spencer, like who on that cast or crew pissed off someone in Hollywood. (laughs) Mm, That's just baffling. Well, um, I kind of want that to be their last why the flick, but I do have one more and it's why the flick did Phil get so dressed up to go to the doctor. (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah. I noticed that. I was like, what? He's like in a suit and top hat. The only thing I was like, maybe he's so fucking delirious that he doesn't know what he's doing, but then it also (laughs) is kind of like his death suit in a way. Yeah. Maybe he knew. He's like, I'm dying. So he's like, I'll just I'm going I'll make it style. easy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't want to make them change me. So I'll just go ahead and put on my casket suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a Who good knows? question. <laughs> anyway. All right. So let's move into how many flicks do we give? I cannot wait to hear <laughs> what yours is. But for context, this movie is definitely high on the critics. Um, rating and like average I'd say on audience ratings so IMDB gives it a 6.9 out of 10 and then on Rotten Tomatoes critics give it a 94 percent and audiences give it a 79 percent so quite a discrepancy there I did take a minute to like look through some of the comments from the audience and (laughs) just a few little nuggets that I pulled um one said it would be more interesting watching paint dry (laughs) uh time lost with no value gained 
And this reminded me of you. I tapped out of this one after half an hour. Yes. Um, I paused at one point to look at how much time it passed. It, oh, I did that several times. It's right before um, Rose and George get married. Get married? Oh, shit. Yeah. And it was the 25 minute mark. Mm-hmm. 25 minutes in and you had next to no plot character development or real like anything. That is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've already oh. talked about the Oscar nominations. I'm not going to get into that. Um, mm, sorry. But no, it's fine. Um, so I'm going to be more in line, I think, with the IMDb rating of any of these. I'm giving it a 3.5 out of 5, which I feel like is being generous. But mm-hmm. the biggest reason I have for giving this score is that it's just like so, it's so slow. It's a little too slow for me. And I get like, you can have a slow paced movie, but the pacing on this movie just didn't work with everything else that was happening. And yeah, you get the reveal at the end. So I definitely had a moment where like all these scenes flood back to me. And I realized, I realized that I see them differently now. And that part's cool. Like, like, oh, I get it. I'm in on it. But it's also not enough to like compensate that dreadfully slow pace. And um, like I said, I've, I've had mixed, I had mixed feelings on Phil's portrayal um, as a repressed gay man. That being said, I think there is some compelling commentary on toxic masculinity as it is defined in this movie and how it comes across. And I think the acting is good for the most part. I really think Cody Smith McPhee stands out the most maybe of all of these just because of like what happens and you don't realize it. And he's good at like keeping that a secret till the end. But yeah, I don't know if I'm rooting for it to win best picture at the Oscars. Wait, does that, do you say that kind of like sarcastically or you might root for it? I said, I don't know that I'm going to root for this okay. to win the Oscar okay. for best picture. Um, oh, if, yeah, I'll be so, <laughs> like I, I said before, like a big part about what grinds my gears about this movie is how critics, 94% uh, rating are drooling over this. And so many of the reviews that I've read too, it's just like, just literally drooling over it. I, I'm not yeah. getting much like great critique or analysis um, that supports that, but um, okay. So all the things we talked about, the, sl- the slow pace. And like you said, movies can be slow paced and work. I'm gonna talk about Spencer as much as Phil talks about Bronco Henry. Spencer <laughs> is a slow paced movie and it works it works um because it drops breadcrumbs and drops little details and um you learn about the characters and about the story along the way even if it is slowly this movie it's just fucking slow and just dull for for way too long Mm -hmm. like i said there's absolutely nothing subtle to this um for me it just kind of slaps you over the head with things um I don't think that there's anything really new or nuanced in terms of this toxic, toxic masculinity. If there is, I think it resides in Peter's character. I agree performance wise 
and I would say probably writing wise, that's the best and most developed character and most interesting character. Um, I, I think we need more of Peter in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the twist, I hear, I kind of question if I even call it a twist mm. because I think for a twist, I have to have some inkling and impression of what the fuck the movie is and where it's not where it's going in terms of like predicting the twist. But if I, if I'm watching a movie and I was like, I have no fucking clue what this is or what's going on. It's not really a twist. Like, or it's not, it doesn't have the same kind of payoff for me. I agree. It's, it's on its own. It's a good twist and it's good that you didn't see it coming. Um, but I didn't see fucking any minute of that movie coming because I was just yeah. And I think with like murder mystery movies, you know, there's you oh the person you always think it's going to be is not who it ends up being, and so you're kind of always surprised by the twist at the end. But you know, a twist is coming, and you're trying to guess. This movie, I was like, I didn't even know a twist was happening. I have to process that the twist right. even happened, and then and, go back yeah. and figure it out and process it in like you said, like 90 seconds, if even that. It all just yeah. like happens. Some people Uh, watch this and did not even like get that there was a twist at the end of this. Like that's that's wild. (laughs) Like some people didn't even realize till they watched it a second time that Peter was the one planning this all along. Like, I mean, though that goes to show you that maybe it wasn't done well for me. um, Like I said, it was kind of like the one saving grace I think of this movie. Yeah. Um, again, I had problems with like the motivations of the characters. They were a little murky or inauthentic, not believable. Um, I, I do think it's a little problematic, um, the way homosexuality is, I would say used, um, as like Mm -hmm. a device in the story, which is not how I think it should appear on screen, especially when there's, I don't think there's anything new to really say or that this movie Mm -hmm. says, (sighs) okay. Um, all of that to say, I enjoyed our discussion about it and it almost makes me want to watch it again because there are moments where it's like, oh, wait, maybe they, maybe they were really smart about that. So my rating is, um, an increase of what I was originally going to give this. I give this two flicks out of five just above the other woman (laughs) I was like I was really like I'm gonna be so excited this is is higher than the other woman but I get it um I almost gave it a one that's kind of where I started um I also truly I want to like respect and appreciate the fact that everyone involved is super talented like there's no there's no question um for me about that uh, I have not seen Jane Campion's other work. I know mm-hmm. of the piano, just it's kind of place in movie culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe she's just not my cup of tea. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I do want to watch the piano at least. Um, but I don't think it's, it's, it's a question that, you know, she's a talented filmmaker. Um, so that also kind of increases the, the rating for me, just, <laughs> just out of respect. Yeah. Um, but overall I don't get it I don't get the reception we just of this movie don't get it we just can't connect the dots that's fine everybody has their own opinion I, I'm really happy though that we watch 
Spencer and then this, mm-hmm. like, it was good to like, I mean, they're obviously very different movies, but, yeah. um, it was, yeah. To compare those two Oscar nominees, one, one very over-nominated and one very under-nominated. I wouldn't have even have picked this movie if it wasn't, uh, a, another option between these two. So this is kind of my fault. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of did this to us. All right. This to me. I feel attacked. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll make That's it okay. up. I'll make it up to you <laughs> and I'll make it up to our listeners by announcing our next pick. And this is a joint pick between Claire and I, we will be taking on interstellar. Yeah, I can't wait. I was looking at the, uh, looking up the runtime because I was like, how much, how much time do I need? Oh, to fuck. It's like three hours. It's like three hours. I, I've seen this movie, uh, several times. Um, but I just forgot how long it is. And you, I've said it before. I'm, I'm kind of anti movies that are over two hours. It's just nonsense, You're but like, not, <laughs> I hate long movies. So let's end on a three hour. So long let's one. do the, the, the longest. I think this is just both, uh, or this is a movie that, that both of us, uh, are really fascinated by and there is a lot to unpack in terms of themes and in terms of just filmmaking and storytelling and so Mm. I'm really excited um luckily we're Claire and I we're gonna have a little extra time to to watch and rewatch and plan this episode out because it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be a lot um but that will come out on March 29th and that will be our last episode before we take an extended break TBD how long we will be back. Um, but, uh, we just need a break and I'm looking forward to just watching a ton of movies mm-hmm. during that break, Same. um, just for funsies. So in the meantime, until we get to interstellar, make sure you're following us on social media at why the flick on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and really wherever you listen, make sure you give us a rating where you can, leave some comments, tell us what you think about these movies, and we will see you. What did you think about Power of the Dog? Yeah, I for sure fucking want to know what you thought about Power of the Dog. (laughs) Um, Please tell me if I'm crazy and just totally missing missing Mm -hmm. the idea. I don't think we are. I I don't think so. We're pretty smart. Yeah. (laughs) We have glasses. (laughs) All right. See y'all next week. Bye.